With every word that we utter, with every action we take, we know our kids are watching us. We as parents are their most important role models. Michelle Obama. Hello, 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 and welcome you all to another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am your host, Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, your other host, Mr. AJ Mass. Yay! It's the Muppet Show! <laughs> oh, AJ, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing fine. I'm doing dandy. Uh, it's it's exciting to uh, get into this season three as as we're progressing here, and I just be it be it just better guest stars or just better stories. Like uh, I, I'm just excited to share it with you uh, as we go forward. I am all for it, uh, folks. Welcome, by the way. This is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. Each week, we recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show. I have never seen this show before, and AJ is our grizzled veteran who has seen each and every episode, so those are the perspectives we'll be bringing you. And this week, we are going to be profiling Season 3, Episode 4 of Criminal Minds, entitled Children of the Dark. Ooh, scary. Uh, This episode was directed by Guy Norman B., and written by a pair of newcomers, it looks like, this week, Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty. This originally aired on October 17th, 2007. That was a long Any, time ago. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was a different time. Any uh, intel on Dan Dworkin and Jay Beatty? Are they familiar names that are going to be with uh, us yeah, for a while? I, I didn't realize this was their debut, but uh, certainly those names uh, will appear in the credits for quite some time. So, looking forward. Awesome. So, let's get started with the recap, AJ. This week, we start in a suburban suburban home in the Denver, Colorado area. It's a peaceful family scene. A mom is cooking in the kitchen, talking to a friend on the phone. We see a dad helping his son with some math homework as another son is playing a video game. When all of a sudden, the mother's phone goes out to a busy signal which i don't know if that's what happens when your phone is cut off but but anyway okay so it goes to a busy signal she's in mid-conversation with her friend uh, and the phone is cut off then we get a knock at the door the dad goes to get it he looks out the peephole opens the door we see a a blonde rather clean-cut looking young man in a suit uh holding a dead cat yeah you know and that's probably the uh Second worst thing that he could be holding, first being, of course, uh, uh, the watchtower. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, wow. So, yes, he's holding a dead cat and saying it just ran out in front of him. Uh, after he confirms that the cat isn't isn't theirs, he asks if he can use their phone since there uh, is a phone number on the tag of the cat. And the mom says the phone isn't working. It just cut off. Must be a dead battery or something. So the dad says uh, he'll go get his cell phone. 
And as the dad gets the phone, the young man, man comments on that neato set of golf clubs that the dad has hanging over there by the closet door, you know, complimenting him, saying he must be a good golfer to use those clubs. They they must be some kind of special clubs, AJ. <laughs> and uh, the dad is, meanwhile, realizing that he has no cell phone service either. The man asks if perhaps maybe he has a bag for the cat because the wife did seem to worry that it might be diseased. So the dad says sure and invites him to step into the house and he goes off into the kitchen to grab a bag. A grab bag, if you will. Uh, the mom follows him into the kitchen to argue about why they need to give this stranger a bag, leaving their kids out with, <laughs> in yeah, the living room I, with is, these two strangers. I guess there's an argument sort of thing, but you just let a stranger into your house and he said it was a dead cat and you just decide to leave. Like, it, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So uh, they do come back out with the bag and uh-oh. There's another young man in the house, and perhaps this one doesn't look so clean cut. But however, it is Weevil from Veronica Mars, a.k.a. Francis Capra. So I'm assuming he's just a misunderstood anti-hero type. That's what he's going to be in this episode. Because it's Weevil. Hey. Oh, no, a long time ago. <laughs> used to be Although the uh, young blonde unsub, I will call him now, is... Uh, it's a bit worrisome because he has on what appears to be surgical gloves <laughs> and uh, he wasn't wearing those before. Maybe our parents are starting to feel a little uneasy. And uh, of course there's Weeble there and he's got on the surgical gloves as well. Uh, he explains that, Oh, uh, Weeble was our driver and was driving the cars. He, and he puts the cat in the bag. Weevil's not looking at the family at all. He's making like no eye contact. He's averting their gaze. He looks scared, nervous, or has severe social anxieties. Just just the type of person you want standing in your foyer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. At this point, the dad is starting to try to usher the men out. But now, even though the cat is still in the bag, they let the cat out of the bag, so to speak. <laughs> And guess what, AJ? They are bad guys. Uh, things go On criminal yeah. minds? <laughs> yes, indeed. Things go quickly south from here. The blonde unsub starts to beat the father with the golf club that he's grabbed. The dad is screaming. He's t screaming to vo for the boys to go into their room. And the man looks over at the boys and says, No, boys, you stay. We next cut to the BAU... Well, before we before we cut the BAU, you, 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 the, the one part that you did miss is the where the menace gets really turned up to eleven, is where the the wife is just like going like, "We're gonna call the police! We're gonna call the police! Get out of yeah. here!" And he goes, "Oh yeah, how are you gonna do that? Your phone's not working." <laughs> I, I love yes. when unsubs throw the dialogue of you know you you say something like, "Oh no, I can't help you. You can't call. Our phone isn't working." It would have been better if it was a lie. <laughs> Right. Quite frankly, like you trying to catch her in a lie, but I, yeah, I, I love the evil factor here. I also love when Criminal Mind starts off with a show where you're watching for about two minutes, and it, it was it went on a little long. How the the familyness of it all, and you're going, did I? Am I watching the right show? Is this Criminal Mind? Right. Like, what, what am I watching? I like when they do that. Yeah, and then they always introduce 
evil weevil <laughs> uh you can't spell weevil without evil without evil yeah evil <laughs> so yes we do cut to the bau now and they're looking at crime scenes picturing our poor family the halbert family and apparently this is the third recent home invasion type crime in the denver area and our unsubs have killed everyone parent child pets if they had them Apparently, the unsubs have only stolen cash, jewelry, things that they could carry with them. And we learned that home invasions are typically hard to profile because there's usually multiple motives. Hotch's surprise, Colorado has invited them back. <laughs> I thought it was kind of weird phrasing, but apparently there was some flack during the whole uh, Jean Bonnet Ramsey case and federal authorities dissed local law enforcement so they're not too fond of them but jj says no this time the locals really want them here and prentice points out that the first two cases happened 20 days apart and now this latest case has happened nine days after the last one so things are escalating and we go to credits Yes, it is. And we open this week in the idyllic-looking neighborhood of Cherry Creek, Colorado. Prentice gives our opening quote, In the city, crime is taken as emblematic of class and race. In the suburbs, though, it's intimate and psychological, resistant to generalization, a mystery of the individual soul. Barbara Ehrenreich. Whoever that is. Yeah, <laughs> that was quite a long quote for the uh, opening quote. Yeah, but, but they were doing it to establish. I, I think that we need a long quote. We want to establish the scene. <laughs> so a little montage of stuff going on here. We had a nice little interesting twist this time because first we go and we're seeing the crime scene itself, the tape out in front of the house. And then that turns into the picture and we sort of reverse Kodak back onto the jet uh, i thought that was a nice little twist yes again we have established the pattern for this show even though it's only season three we know what the pattern is and everything they do now is either got to fit that pattern or be a complete re reversal uh, to keep us on our toes and i like that next we have the team uh going over the victims the home invasion the killing of whole families and it just seems to suggest multiple unsubs but the victims are more like the Cleavers, and uh, that prompts Reed into wondering at the almost violent name of the Cleaver family in the show, Leave it to Beaver, and Hotch tells him to focus, please. <laughs> yes, because, you know, Reed, Reed seems to be the type to watch a lot of television. I, I don't know, but again, it is in the popular culture. I will say my favorite thing about, about the word Beaver, because uh, uh, Beaver Cleaver on, on Leave it to Beaver, uh, the the fact that even in the show itself they acknowledge the hypocrisy when uh, the kid is at the table and Bieber's like going, you know I don't like that kid he's a rat 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 and the mother gets angry like Beaver we will not have such language at the table <laughs> <laughs> it just always made me laugh yeah is Jerry Mathers uh, Jerry Mathers every once in a while he still pops up you still see him every <laughs> yeah, once in a while. he's always playing a grown up version of the beaver yeah 
Yeah, they uh, don't find any evidence right now at the moment to support this being a class-based uprising, a.k.a. a helter-skelter type of crime. They don't see graffiti. There's no evidence of rituals or anything like that that would indicate that. Um, the one thing about this crime is the parents were killed brutally with household items like the golf club, the kitchen knife. Uh, but the kids died by an injection of pinto barbitol. These home invasions were planned. The phone lines were cut. The parents were bound and gagged. And these guys obviously have some robbery experience. And then it escalated to murder and somehow they found their true calling. We next cut to the crime scene where a cop is telling the local detective, I should say, is telling Hotch and Prentice that there was no sign of forced entry, which was the same at the other crime scenes. And Morgan isn't there, so they have Hotch do the walking in the shoes of the victim or the criminal. Whatever detectivery that uh, Morgan usually does, it's Hotch's job this time. And he says, okay, so it's late, and the doorbell rings, and uh, he walks over, opens the door, and he's able to discover that the porch light has been unscrewed so it doesn't work. And you can't really see anybody on the porch if you're looking from the street. <laughs> Thank you. Unscrewed. You know, I'm sitting here watching the episode and I'm writing my notes and I'm trying to come up with the word. And it just wasn't coming to me. So I just wrote manually turned off. <laughs> 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 yes. I just, just like Hotch is a little bit out of his element. I felt a little bit out of my element. I'm like, what? What the? He? What's he? He's what turning a, it off manually. What is he doing? <laughs> what is that method? Um, <laughs> Unscrewed. Woo! I gotta screw this. <laughs> so the they do figure that they must have looked through the peephole and let them in, and whoever was through the peephole must have looked unthreatening in order to be let in. Because you wouldn't, I assume, open the door for, for if somebody looked like uh, – I'm trying to think of a, a gangster, I can say. It's just not coming to me. Al but Capone. you wouldn't open the door for – Al Capone. Yeah, you, he was busy unscrewing. <laughs> Come on, man. Come up with a name. Al Capone. It's easy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So they look at the bloody couch where all the violence occurred. And uh, they point out this is rage. This is pure somebody mad at the world with violent tendencies. And uh, it's possible that they knew the families because this type of rage usually indicates some kind of uh, reason or, or knowledge of who they're taking care of business with. The kids actually were handled differently. They were tucked in. It was quiet. It was orderly. It was controlled. And that would normally indicate an introvert, somebody with a capacity of some sort of remorse. So they've got two profiles, which probably indicates two unsubs. And they have two chairs facing the couch. It seems like maybe this was set up so that somebody had to sit there and watch the parents die. Yeah, and at this point, we don't know if that's like, do they beat them to a bloody pulp and then sit down and enjoy <laughs> just just kicking back or is there something else going on? I, I like I like that they don't know exactly. That's usually the problem with the show is that they they are show us the footage of the thing happening so we know exactly yeah because we saw that that's a, you're yeah you're right one hundred percent here it's more postulating so I like that. Yeah. So next we cut to Reed. He's outside talking to a neighbor. She was actually 
uh, they had mentioned in the opening scene someone was coming by to drop off a dish they had borrowed. So this is that woman. And she came by last night. She didn't get any answer, which was strange to her. And also she tried to call the cell phone and couldn't get a signal, which was also very strange since there was always a strong signal there because they happened to live near a cell tower just a block away. A little too much information there, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because the next thing she says, well, you know, in the morning I called the cops and no problem. So I was like, okay, so that's all you needed to say. <laughs> right. The cell wasn't working, then it was working. So we cut next to the police station. The team is uh, talking to the local detective. And he says that uh, these guys are confident. You know, they're targeting whole families, which is a huge risk. And Reed says it's possible that they're jamming the cell phones to minimize the risk. And the local detective says, so these guys are high tech, huh? Apparently, that's not necessarily the truth. Somehow, there's some device that anyone can buy at a cheap price that can jam uh, cell phone signals. Garcia calls on Morgan's phone and he lets her know right away that she's on speaker. So behave, but Garcia can't help herself. She says, or what you'll spank me. And then there's an awkward pause. Morgan's face is so priceless in this. It's like, he's looking around like, what did I just say? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Two seconds. What did you, what? Love it. Love Morgan's face there. <laughs> After the awkward pause, Garcia says she's checked the area for similar robberies. She's found four similar ones with the phone lines cut. Small valuables were taken. Occupants were tied up, but there were no homicides. Hot says if this is our guys, then something made them graduate to murder. They have to find out what the trigger was, and then that can help them figure out how they chose their victims. And Morgan says he's checked the victimology and there's nothing really connecting the families, different political affiliations, different careers, different schools for their kids. And I'm thinking apparently, well, I guess they all eat at the same restaurant because as they're saying, as Morgan is saying this, we have cut to a scene of various different families at a restaurant. And I thought, oh, are they just giving us the connection like that? But no, actually – It's just cutting to the next scene, which is our pair of unsubs sitting in a booth at this restaurant. And uh, Weevil is there reading a fortune from a fortune cookie that tells him that a reunion is in his future. And his uh, buddy tells him that means nothing. It's just a gimmick. And meanwhile, speaking of gimmicks, there's a loud cell phone talker in the next booth speaking Cantonese, according to the subtitles. And her blonde unsub is getting annoyed, so he sighs and pulls out a little signal or device of some sort and starts clicking it. And apparently it jams the signal of the person that was talking on the phone. And I I actually can't believe that this has not been the most top-selling item <laughs> of the, the century so far. Uh, <laughs> I will say it's played for laughs, and I did chuckle. Like, like, because you know, he's just—I mean, he's really loud. Yeah. He's really, really loud. It's like, okay, we've all been there. So, I wish I had that. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> Any case, maybe I was right about this being somewhere the victims had in common, because apparently they're there to select their next victims, 
And the blonde unsub is saying to Weeble, hey, you got to pick the next people. Or if you don't, we'll just skip your turn and I'll pick someone. And Weeble has been staring at a new family. So I guess they're going to be our next victims, basically. I mean, why else would we spend so much time with, with these people? <laughs> right. We cut to outside a home. We see the blonde unsub walk up to the porch, look around, unscrew the light bulb on the front porch. Manually disable the light. Come on, man. Yeah. (laughs) Here's the proper terminology. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he's got another dead cat. I'm assuming at this point it's the same dead cat. I don't know why I'm assuming that. But I'm like, they're getting a lot of mileage out of this cat. Unfortunately, you assume wrong, but it's even it's yes. makes it even worse, quite frankly. He does do his cell phone jam thing, and then he rings the doorbell. And they answer. The daughter answers. This guy does the same act as before. And we next then cut to the daughter and a younger son in tears, sitting in the chairs as if they were in an audience looking, unfortunately, at their parents being brutalized. We don't have to watch because we zoom into a family photo and then we cut to a break. Mercifully cut to a break. I will say I'm always happy when we use the commercial break to stop us from watching this because we don't need to see any of this violence. It's horrific. It's horrible. These are the bad guys. We know it. The lines are firmly drawn. Sometimes you get sympathetic unsubs. Certainly a blonde guy, or I just decided to call him Mormon the whole time. (laughs) Uh, He's reprehensible. It's awful. Yes, definitely. We come back from the commercial break, and AJ, I was surprised because the daughter is alive. She's walking out shell-shocked in the middle of the street somewhere in the neighborhood. She's got blood on her shirt. She's crying. Um man who's driving, you know, he has to stop because she's in the middle of the street. He stops and gets out of his car, asks her if she's all right. And she says, they've just killed us. And she starts crying. And the man yells at a nearby woman to call 911. So I, I was I was surprised by this development, I, I will say. I was expecting the whole family to be gone, gone, gone. Yes, usually, uh, again, it's what do you expect from this show and what have we seen it's like uh someone with a knife someone with a gun someone goes into a room and shuts the door cuts a commercial break the next thing we see is is police tape and woo 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 hot we did Correct. it we got another one hot. <laughs> 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 that's not what happened here so now we cut to the police station and it's profiling time and they basically give us all the information that we've already spoken about and uh, then JJ comes in to let them know there's been another crime but this time they have a survivor. Oh, not that survivor. Sorry, it's CBS, I assumed. <laughs> yes. Uh, we next cut to the hospital. Like, when the, when this was airing, did they, I, I can imagine though Hot. We have another. We have another uh, crime scene, but there's a survivor, and a little <laughs> bug pops up at the bottom. Survivor right. Wednesdays at night <laughs> on CBS. <laughs> Picture of Jeff Ropes with thumbs up. <laughs> Come on, you wouldn't put it past these networks to do that. I, not at all. <laughs> not at all. So we do go to the hospital, and a doctor is telling Prentice and JJ that this girl is lucky to be alive. The injection apparently missed the vein. And Prentice says, well, that's a first because this guy doesn't usually miss. 
our victim is in and out of consciousness. She's suffering from a drug overdose, obviously, so she's drowsy and confused. Uh, Emily. I mean, Emily. Small sample size. <laughs> yeah. This guy doesn't usually miss. I mean, he's he's three for three. <laughs> right. Okay. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Agreed. We cut to Hotch. He's at the, the new crime scene on the phone with, I presume, was JJ saying he doesn't want the media to know that they have a survivor. Jeff Probst, Wednesdays at 9. <laughs> <laughs> he uh, then goes into the house where Morgan is looking at the parents' bodies, and he tells Hotch that the kid in his room down the hall was a seven-year-old boy. Hotch takes in the scene and says, at least they left the flowers alive. And we see a nice clear shot of some purple flowers by a window. I mean, is that supposed to be a joke? <laughs> Dark humor, I guess. Gallows humor. Well, at least they didn't kill the flowers. <laughs> it, it's it's so heavy handed. It does. It is going to become a plot point later, which is why they do it. I I I, only, I don't know if I I I hate the fact that they did that because it was so cheesy, or if I appreciate that it's so heavy handed. You have to have noticed it. Right. So it does appear that the parents' bodies were moved post-mortem, so they assume it's probably by the daughter. Hotch says, you know, you answer the door, and the next thing you know, everyone and everything you care about is gone. And Morgan says, well, if it was him, he'd want to be gone too. Bringing me down this week, AJ. <laughs> Bringing me down. No, I mean, think about it, though. Hotch is in a really dark place. I mean, the last time he came home, it was dark and his whole family was gone. <laughs> so, I mean, they weren't yeah. dead. But nonetheless, right. I mean, Hotch is, in a dark, is working from a real dark place right now. And nobody knows. So it's, it, it is kind of, uh, kind of interesting to see him take the storyline from the last week and move it along. I, you know, we're, we're, we're a show with a memory now, and I like that. So now we go back to the hospital, and uh, our girl is talking to Prentice and JJ, and she's telling them what happened. We'll find out in a, a moment. Her name is Carrie. But uh, Carrie describes the men and how one of them, who was a quiet one, kept staring at her and avoiding eye contact as they then forced them to watch them beat their parents with the fireplace poker. And then the quiet one took her brother Danny away, and the other one started going through the drawers looking for stuff. She took that moment to run. She tried to get her brother Danny, but as we see in a black-and-white flashback of the scene, he's already unfortunately dead on the bed. Then Weevil comes in and says, It's better this way, Lucy, and she asks what he did to Danny. He calls her Lucy again. She says her name's not Lucy. And Weevil tells her she needs to be quiet. She's going to make his brother mad. He grabs her and says, let's go. Yeah, and it's, it's cool that they're getting all this information. I you know, I like the fact that we're getting this character development of, of someone telling a flashback. Usually it's like these, you know, she shows, she's like, well, okay, she's just the victim and she'll give her story and we won't ever need to know anything more about her. But, you know, she's, you know, JJ's like, you want to take a break? She's like, no, you need this. I'll, I'll, I'll endure the trauma and tell you everything you need to know. But, you know, it, it, it's nice to develop a little feeling for these minor characters uh, in these brief scenes. We next cut back to Hotch and Morgan back at the house. And Morgan calls Hotch over to point out that there's a picture missing. And these guys haven't really taken anything that would be considered a trophy before. They've just taken cards and cash. So this is a deviation from the normal uh, M.O. that they have. And we 
then cut to Weevil who is lying down on a bed and he's staring at the picture in question of the daughter when she was younger. We cut back to the police station and Hotch says the witness said that the unsubs were using cats. So now they should find out where they're getting the cats. They talk about how it could be strays or that they could work for somewhere, that they have access to animals, which might overlap apparently with the Pinto Barbital because, you know, research labs might use something like that or veterinary hospitals. So Morgan says he's going to get Garcia to make up a list. And Prentice points out that Carrie said that the two uh, unsubs referred to themselves as brothers. And Reed starts to go into, well, yeah, that could be common in a case like this and names a few stats and cases where that has happened. But Prentice says, no, well, the strange thing here is these guys were two different races. And also, Carrie said that the Hispanic one didn't speak Spanish. So he could have been someone that was just raised in a white household and they could be half-brothers or they could be adopted. So the unsub uh, also expressed affection for Carrie, and they know he took her photograph. And I, I guess we didn't see the scene where they determined that it was her photograph that was taken, but I guess we'll just assume that. No, but it was on a family wall. So yeah, you figure it's either just her or a picture of her with the family. So it's... It, it, that one, that one I'll buy. If every, if every photo on the wall is of the family or individuals, then yeah. And then uh, Reed says, uh, maybe if we release news on her survival, it might draw them out. And Prentice looks a little leery at this as she says, well, if we do this, we need to have her security doubled. I, I don't know. I, I will say getting into patient rooms on television shows to enact revenge. A, a very very easy have you ever been in a hospital you can't get to a patient room <laughs> can't even find it to be honest with you right, but it's like i have to be led <laughs> you walk, most hospitals uh, from my experience you know there's like some really horrible person at the front desk where are you going <laughs> then there's 16 elevators that are hidden in corners and some only go to some floors and some go to other floors and then there's like a maze you have to go through and then the, an obstacle course all the doors have signs on them saying "Do not enter." I mean, obviously, a criminal's not going to say, "Oh, right, I can't if, go here." But even, even if even if you know she's in room three hundred one, that could be on the sixth floor. I mean, these hospitals are very devious. So now we cut to what seems like an animal shelter, and we see Weevil comforting a cat, <laughs> telling it that no family is going to take him. That's a lie. That doesn't happen. He's one of the lucky ones, in in the sense that he's going to give him a shot. And he starts telling the cat, okay, sleep, sleep. And then there's a knock at the door, and the man says, uh, hey, Irvin, you got a visitor. So Weevil is Irvin. Uh, sure, but we're going to keep calling him Weevil, aren't we? <laughs> of course. And uh, so he goes outside to see who his visitor is. Of course, it's the blonde unsub, who we will learn in a short while that his name is Gary. And Gary is upset because the news is out. And the girl survived. And Weevil tries to say, oh, he thought he gave her a good shot. And Gary's like, yeah, and this has nothing to do with like maybe having a crush on her. But that doesn't matter. He just doesn't want Weevil to go soft on him now. He says, look, they're family. We're all each other has got. We cut back to the hospital. JJ and Prentice are talking. Apparently, Carrie has been cleared to go. 
but she actually has no place to go. They've tried to contact her family in L.A. I guess that hasn't worked out. Meanwhile, we cut to Carrie's room. Sinister music is playing. Two people dressed in hospital blues come to the room, and we hear Gary's voice say, It just ran into the road. Is it yours? And she, Carrie looks up and sees our two unsubs dressed as doctors with their masks on, and Gary has a plastic bag, and he pulls her dad's head out of the bag, bleeding, and she screams, and she wakes up, and obviously this is a dream. And JJ and Prentice run over to her room to calm her down. They have a change of clothes for her that they got from the house. And then Prentice notices that there are a lot of flowers in the room, which Carrie says to them they started coming in after her story was on the news. And Prentice sees an arrangement of flowers that is the exact same arrangement of the flowers that were in the living room. Dum, dum, dum. Yes, that plot point has been now used. We cut to her telling Hotch about this. He says it could be a coincidence, but, you know, let's get Garcia to track the flower delivery. And Reed's got something for them uh, after she's done talking to Garcia. So Prentice calls Garcia, who is wondering why it has to be cats and saying that evil has no boundaries. And Prentice just asks her to go ahead and track that flower delivery. Yeah, she's like, I, I don't have any uh, sexy talk for you, Garcia. Sorry. <laughs> Not my <Yes>. case. <laughs> we then cut to Reed, who has the crime scene photos from another one of the uh, crime scenes on the board. And this is where the violence was first triggered at the Laybourne's home. And Reed has noticed some wounds on the daughter which were not from the crime. Uh, so he investigated it and he found out she's been to the emergency room three times in the last year. Social services was even called in. So apparently she was an abused uh, child. So that gets them to thinking that one of the unsubs could have been abused as a child and is therefore now out taking revenge against the parents. And when the local detective says, well, they think they were all abused. No, this was probably just the trigger. And now they see all parents in the same light. The local cop says that doesn't explain why you do the kids. And Morgan says, maybe it does. And he says, you know, think of similar family annihilators, a.k.a. like John List and Mark Barton. They thought they were saving their own kids by killing them. And the cop says – the detective says, yeah, but saving them from what? And Morgan says, life without their parents, without love, life like his. And Reed says, well, they're orphans, so what if they both grew up in a third-party household, a.k.a. a foster home? Apparently, the no-eye contact thing is a common disorder found among people who grow up in foster homes. Okay. And meanwhile, Prentice uh, comes in to say that they may have found Carrie's secret admirer. Garcia has tracked the flowers they were paid for by a credit card under the name Robert Serrano. So we cut to the team breaching the Serrano home. But surprise, 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 Comer Pile. Uh, <laughs> instead of a suspect, they find another savagely murdered couple, and we go to a break. Oh, man. Horrible, 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 horrible. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, we've, we've gone over this many times, but you get one of three types of cops when you go to these towns. One is, I don't want you here and I'm going to be antagonistic the whole time. Two is, 
I'm happy to have called you in, and uh, I will be as helpful as possible. And this is my name, and everybody, we're going to refer to me my name. We're going to be going right alongside you, uh, the whole operation. And then we have this guy whose name I don't remember, didn't notice, and he's just here to go, why are you doing that? 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 <laughs> so this is a, why are you doing that guy? <laughs> yeah, he is not helpful at all. Uh Except for to sort of move it along. Why are you doing that? We come back and we're at another crime scene. And Morgan is telling the local detective that the other purchase that was made on the stolen credit card was used to purchase gas at a nearby station. So our detective tells another cop to go check that station for the security footage, see if they can identify the car. Hutch says the door latch on the house, the security latch was broken. So apparently they didn't lie their way into the house this time. And the detective says, well, it's probably because the media has blown their M.O. And Morgan says, well, they're speeding up because they're feeling the pressure getting close. They're feeling the heat, so to speak. Garcia has called in and she has narrowed down suspects based on uh, the criteria of them being raised in foster homes and they have access to animals and access to pinto barbitol at a job she's sending it over she has a list of she says nine people and the photos we see are a bunch of mug shots including one mug shot of weevil yeah so uh, definitely nice to just show it you they don't belabor it it's just there if you notice it great you're on the we know garcia's gonna be on the ball but i would love to have her search engine capacity it's just like okay foster home Access to animals, access to drugs. Here are the nine people in Denver. Yeah. <laughs> on the list. <laughs> it only took me five clickety clacks. <laughs> right. I was actually wondering, AJ, if you were going to tell me all these other mugshots were various crew members of. The, <laughs> of yeah, you know, when when the names pop up, I could I, and I recognize the names is a lot easier. And I they didn't recognize any of these guys, but uh, you know, one, I guarantee you, one of these days is going to be like, "Hey, is that you?" <laughs> <laughs> so next we cut back to the police station and the detective saying comes in and he's saying they actually have found the car uh it's an oldsmobile mid 80s partial plate only there was no visual on the driver so uh in the meantime carrie has come in and she's taking a look at the pictures that garcia sent over and she is very quick to point out weevil and morgan says okay that's Irvin robles and they have his last known address and the fact that he's employed by the Denver City Pound. And they start to leave. Prentice tells Carrie that her parents would be proud. And Carrie says, well, it's too late to be a good daughter now. Prentice asks what she means. She says, you know, she was horrible to them and now they're gone. And she asks Prentice why these guys did it. There had to be some kind of reason. And Prentice says she would go crazy trying to figure out a reason. It probably has to do to the has something to do with the fact that they were abused when they were younger. And Carrie plaintively asks, are there any happy families? <sighs> oh, dear. And, you know, we've we've had a run here of some episodes where there was not so happy families. I mean, you know, were we just a, a couple uh, a couple episodes ago in Milwaukee where a guy got his own son to bring a woman home? <laughs> and Emily had to deal with that. It's just like... Oh, really? Are there any families anywhere, please? Yeah. Hello? 
we cut next to the animal shelter. Uh, Hotch and Prentice are there. They're looking for Irvin. Uh, he's apparently out till the weekend. So they uh, ask his supervisor what he does. The supervisor says, well, he's basically our animal Kevorkian. So that sort of fits right in line with the old profile. They tell the supervisor they need uh, him to call Irvin in. And then Hotch and Prentice meet Reed outside and tell them that the supervisor did leave a message for Irvin to come in for a work emergency. And also, the supervisor mentioned that a man came by yesterday and got into a heated argument with Irvin. And the description sounded like the one that Carrie had given them of the other unsub. They need the partner's name. And Reed says, until they find Irvin, there's only one person that might be able to tell them that. And that is... The foster mom. And we already have that information, so let's go visit her, since we have no other leads. AJ, my first thought would be like, oh, we're going to see a kind woman who, you know, took it in her heart to raise foster kids. That's who we're going to see, right? Absolutely. Why wouldn't you expect anything else? Because (laughs) this is subverting your expectations night here on Criminal Minds. What a horrifically wicked woman. (laughs) Yes. We cut to Mrs. Manwaring, and she is talking to the team. And as they are talking, I will say a young man has entered the kitchen. They're in the kitchen to go to the refrigerator. And she basically, you know the rules him out of the room. The kid was just trying to get some food. And Hotch and Princess notice a key on her necklace that apparently was the key to the refrigerator. So the The refrigerator is padlocked, ladies and gentlemen. A padlocked fridge. And maybe that's a cool thing to have if you are a late night snacker and you want to give the key to your wife and say, don't let me cheat or something like that. (laughs) But not when you're a young child who just wants a piece of bread, an (laughs) apple, maybe some yogurt. They do ask if uh, they're talking about Irvin and they're asking if there was anyone that Irvin was close to or looked up to. And she says right away, Gary... And she shows them a photo of Gary and Weevil as young boys. She didn't really seem to be too fond of Gary. She's like, we tried with Gary, but he tested us. And she has not kept in touch with him. Oh, God, no. Gary left the day he turned 18. He never looked back. And Irvin was a mess when he got there. Apparently, he got separated from a younger sister. Mrs. Manwaring confirms that the sister's name was Lucy. Uh, Hotch gets a call. And he lets Prentice know that Irvin returned the call from his boss and is on his way to work. So Prentice thanks Mrs. Manwaring and they leave. We cut to a very quick scene. I mean, blink and you'll miss it. And it's uh, Weevil arriving at work and being arrested by Morgan and several other FBI agents. Well, we got to keep this episode moving. I mean, let's not belabor the point. We've got about 20 minutes left. Yes. <laughs> We cut to the interrogation room. Morgan is coming out. Uh, He tells Hotch that they're getting nothing from Irvin. And they decide they don't really have time to just let him stew in there. They need to find Gary as soon as possible. Prentice says, well, you know, we're not going to earn this guy's trust. So Hotch says, with uh, Irvin out of the picture, there's no way to tell what Gary's going to do. So Prentice says, well, he won't talk to us. Maybe he'll talk to family. And cut to them bringing in Carrie. And Hotch is telling her that uh, Weevil will be cuffed. He'll be on leg irons. He won't be able to do anything to her. 
And JJ is there. She's very concerned. She tells her straight up, look, you don't have to do this if you don't want to. And I'm like, damn, JJ. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's clear that Hotch and and Prentice want her to do this. So (laughs) JJ is the one looking out for the victim here, as usual. (laughs) As usual. I mean, she even pulls Emily aside. And why is this a good idea again? (laughs) Can you please tell me why this is a good idea? I don't like this. So they do bring in Carrie and bring him into Weevil. He perks up and says, oh, hey, you're here. As soon as they enter the room, he asks her if if she got his flowers. She says, yeah, they were pretty. He says that they were to say he was sorry. And Princess says, well, the flowers aren't enough, Irvin. We need Gary. He says, no. He tells Carrie they're going to send her away now. That's what they do with all the strays. That's why he makes them go to sleep so they don't have to suffer. And Prentice says, look, more people are going to suffer if we can't find Gary. All of a sudden, Carrie starts to go off the script. She says, when you killed my brother, were you doing him a favor? And he says, yes, it's true. And Carrie asks, well, what about her? And Prentice is like, uh, hold up here. This is uh, this is my interview. <laughs> like you're going a little bit off book here. And uh, as Weevil starts to tell Carrie, he just wanted to see her again because she looks so much like Lucy. He knows it's selfish, and Carrie is like selfish, try insane. And Prentice tells Carrie, "Let's take a break." But then Carrie asks Weevil what happened to him that was so bad, and Weevil says, "Well, she used to make us make it go dark. That's what they called it." She'd put him in the bath to pray. Then she'd hold his head down under the water. Sometimes he could stay awake for like a minute, sometimes a little more. Then everything would go dark. And outside the interrogation room, Morgan is saying, oh, my God. And they've still got foster kids in that place. And Hotch is like, we're going to call the DSS to see if they can get them over there to check them out. Meanwhile, at this point, Carrie has reached out and she's touching Weevil's hand. She says, they can't hurt you anymore, Irvin. He says he wanted it to stop, but Gary, he went through it way worse when they were kids, and he never got a chance to fight back. So he fought those other families instead, only because Irvin wouldn't go back. And Prentice says, back? Gary's going to your foster's home, isn't he? And Weevil nods. They come in and grab him, take him out of the room. Carrie sits there crying. Prentice comforts her, tells her she did good. She did do good, but, you know, again, uh, there's, there's good cop, bad cop, and then there's uh, actual cop, not a cop. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I don't know if we want to make that the uh, standard procedure here, guys. We next cut to Hotch, Reed, and the police. They're arriving back at the Manwaring place. Uh, Mrs. Manwaring is there. She asks what's going on. They tell her they believe that Gary is on her way on his way there to hurt her. She's like, me? What? Why? <laughs> and they tell her for what you did to them, did to him when he was a boy. And she tries to play it off like, I don't know what you're talking about, but Hotch ain't got no kind of time for that. He tells her she just needs to shut up and go inside. It's the only way to protect her and her husband. And she worries about the kids that are at school. She's supposed to pick them up. Hotch says they'll send someone to pick them up. We cut over to the school. And unfortunately, Gary is already there to pick up the kids. He meets the boy we saw before, and a little girl is with them. He says, remember him? He used to live at their house a long time ago. 
And the girl is like, uh, we're not supposed to talk to strangers. And Gary's like, yeah, and you aren't supposed to wear your shoes in the house. You're not supposed to go to the bathroom after bedtime. Tell me, does she still wear the refrigerator key around her neck? I'm Gary. I'll give you guys a ride. So the kids look at each other. Clearly, this guy knows Mrs. Uh, Manwaring, and they get in the car, and we go to a break. We come back, and Hotch has pulled up at the school. Prentice is already there. She tells Hotch that witnesses saw the kids get into an Oldsmobile about 20 minutes ago. Hotch has already heard this. He says Denver, Denver PD has set up a 20-mile perimeter, and she asks Hotch what he thinks uh, Gary wants with the kids. Hotch says, with Irvin out of the way, maybe Gary's just trying to do his job. And Emily says, oh, to make them sleep. And Reed calls Hotch to say, well, they got him. He's at a donut shop two miles away from the school. Cop, black and white, saw the car. I wonder how, why, what they were doing at the donut shop, but <laughs> I didn't uh, ask that question. But uh, they called it in, and they have a visual right now on him. And Reed says he can see Gary and the boy. But he doesn't see the girl, and all of a sudden, there's a knock at the car window. It is the girl. She asks if they're the police, and when Reed says yes, she says, he told me to give this to you and hands him a note. Reed looks at it and says, uh, Hotch, we may have a little problem here. We cut to Hotch arriving there. The cops have surrounded the donut shop. Hotch wants them to back off a little bit so he can talk to this guy first. Reed shows Hotch the note, which says, if you come in, I will kill him. Hotch calls into the donut shop. The clerk gives Gary the phone. And Gary's like, who this? Hotch says, the only one standing between you and a bullet. And Gary says, bring it. He always wanted to die in a donut shop. That's a strange thing to want. <laughs> it is. I, I will say this, this whole sequence just makes me laugh entirely here because it's like, they're doing this this crack surveillance at the donut shop. Like They're, they're like, oh, let's look in. Let's see if we can find them. And this little girl walks out of the donut shop, walks right up to the car, and nobody notices before she knocks on the window. <laughs> yeah. Very strange. Is that a great surveillance, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so Hotch is like to Gary, you never want to see Urban again. He told us what the man wearings did to you in that house. And Gary says he doesn't care. That's history. Hotch tells him they're the objects of your anger, not that little boy in there. And Gary says, it's too late for that boy regardless. Hotch says, it's not. And deep down, you know there's still a chance. He doesn't have to be you. And Gary's like, maybe, maybe not. Let's leave it up to him. And he hangs up the phone in a rather ominous manner. Dum, dum, dum. Moments later, the boy is walking out of the shop, the, the donut shop, apparently unharmed. They get him to run off to safety. And then Gary walks out. And he's arrested. And I felt like uneasy at this. Everything was just going a little bit too smoothly here. And you're not the only you're not the only one because you look at Hotch's face and he's like, hmm, something ain't right here. The detective does congratulate Hotch on doing a good job. Then we see the backseat of a car and the kids are there and they're waiting. And Morgan tells Hotch that uh, social services won't be able to take the kids until a full investigation is done on the man wearings. So they have to take the kids back there. I don't know. Do I believe this, AJ? Is that, I mean, is social security that messed up that it's plausible <laughs> that they would make kids go back to a place where the suspicion of abuse is happening? It, but it's, it's, it's not really sus- – 
Yeah, I mean, I believe there's so much bureaucracy that they don't have any evidence of abuse. They have a story that they've just heard, and they've they've probably done checks in the past. So it's like, well, we'll get somebody out there, but, you know, who are you? (laughs) I'm with the FBI. (laughs) Well, I don't know that. You know, I I can see it. Yeah. It's It's horrible. It's tragic. But do I believe it? Yeah. Yeah. So next we cut to Hotch. He's at the police station. He sees them being bringing Gary back, so he stops them because he wants to talk to Gary, and he tells Gary that he teaches crisis man- negotiation. Uh, he co-wrote the textbook, in fact, and in 12 years, he has never talked to anyone off a ledge so fast, and Gary is just kind of smiling uh, and saying, well, this is a milestone, isn't it? And Hotch asks him why he walked out of that door. And Gary just smiles and says, sugar crash, I guess. And Morgan has, uh, meanwhile, brought the kids back to the man Waring's house. He gives Tyler, which is the boy, his card, tells him anytime he needs him, please call him. And Prentice sees another kid looking out of a window of the house from, like, the attic upstairs. And I'm thinking, oh, it's all very uh, – uh, not it's very flowers in the attic, I guess. <laughs> you know, bad things are happening to these kids. Yeah, very flowers in the. Oh man, don't bring that up when we've got uh, Weevil pining for Lucy, please. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, good point. So then Prentice uh, says this really sucks, and the kids go back to the Man Wearings. Mrs. Man Waring is giving the little girl a hug. We cut to JJ on the phone. She's at the donut shop making press arrangements. And Reed has, in the meantime, of course, gotten them some donuts because <laughs> Reed is all about the snacks. I mean, but we should keep track of this because, you know, last time he was out with Emily, he got pretzels. <laughs> Reed is all about the snacks. Yeah. If there's a vending machine or some kind of snacks, Reed is about that. He. Oh, did the unsub just say sugar crash? Sugar crash. (laughs) You weren't even there, Reed. Shut up. Shut up. All of a sudden, uh, he hears the donut shop clerk talking about how he saw the piece, and that's when he knew something was awry. And Reed is like, Peace? What? And the clerk is like, Yeah, he had a gun. And so Reed asks the cop, Did they find any kind of gun on Gary? No, they didn't. And so he calls Hotch, and he says, uh, did they find a gun? And, and Hotch is like, no. And Reed says, well, it must still be there at the donut shop because it wouldn't just, couldn't have just walked out. And uh, we cut to Prentice and Morgan, and they're about to leave the man wearings. Hotch calls, and we can tell he's asking Morgan if he's checked the kids' backpacks. And Morgan is like, why would I have checked when all of a sudden several gunshots ring out? Uh-oh. Morgan and Prentice rush back inside the house. Tyler has the gun drawn. Mrs. Manwaring is down on the floor. But AJ, she's actually all right. Yeah, because she hasn't been shot at all. She just stopped, dropped, and rolled. <laughs> yeah. Because, yeah, exactly. Tyler didn't shoot her at all. Instead, he shot all the pictures of the happy foster kids saying that they're all lies. And Morgan says he knows. But you know what? You didn't shoot her, Tyler. You're good. You're not like Gary. I'll make you a deal. You give me the gun. I'll walk you out of here and you'll never have to come back again. 
Tyler thinks about it and he seems to be good with this plan. So he gives the Morgan the gun and starts crying. And uh, I got to say it was touching as Morgan was hugging him and saying, it's okay. You're going to be all right. I've got you. I've got you. That was yeah, a touching it, little moment. It was, it was very touching. I mean, I, I will say if they really wanted to sell this, like I don't buy that, that Mrs. Manwaring would be on the ground and the floor wouldn't be wet, <laughs> not from blood, but I mean, she would have, she would have excreted something don't you think (laughs) (laughs) i think that would have been more likely yes uh but we didn't need to see it It, it, (laughs) yeah i know but she she was such a horrible person i wanted to see it in a a little bit of a way (laughs) uh so next we cut to the police station princess and hotch are there cleaning things up grabbing their files princess tells hotch well you know she could take carrie back home to dc hotch is like to live with you why would you do that? <laughs> and Prentice says, well, you know, she has room, she has money, and the girl is smart. Two, three years, she'll go to college. And Hotch is like, you know what, Prentice, this is the job, and I need to know that you can be objective. And she says, look, I need to know that I can be human. And Hotch says, well, JJ happened to hear from Carrie's family, and they're actually on their way from L.A. And Prentice is like, oh, okay, that's great. And she does seem a little bit disappointed at hearing she that. She seems a little bit disappointed, absolutely. And I really love the fact that they've set this up here. You know, we're, we're about to get into the final scene on the BAU jet, and I'll let you explain that. But, like, think about what we've seen this this episode so far. We've seen, well, Reed is a kid, so let's take him out of But JJ, concerned for a child victim and really, really connecting emotionally. Emily here, like, going, oh, man. I oh, I got to just want to take care of a kid and be a parent. Morgan with Tyler in the previous scene. Oh, let me hug you. I want to be a good parent to you, even in a small case. And now we've got Hodgson going, God damn it, everybody, everybody here, none of them have kids and they all want kids. And I don't have my kid. <laughs> yeah, just very it's good. Great, it's great. It's great layering and setting up the, the, the gut punch of this scene. So, yes, we cut to our final scene. The team is getting on the jet. Morgan is hoping they've restocked the bar, and of course, J.J. has already taken care of that. Because <laughs> uh, J.J., yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, don't worry, I called ahead. <laughs> Hotch is uh, on the phone, and it's clear he's talking to Haley. He's asking, "Do you, would you mind waking him up? I just want to hear his voice. And obviously, she's agreed, because Hotch says, thank you. Then we see J.J. sitting with Emily. And J.J. asks her if she's okay, and Prentice says, yeah. And J.J. tells her, you know, Carrie's family are actually good people. And Emily says, she's glad. And J.J. says, it's a good idea, though. Prentice is like, what's that? And J.J. says, you, kids, I could see it. And Emily's like, yeah? And J.J. says, yeah. And we see Prentice looking out of the window. Hmm thinking and we end the episode yeah i mean you know hot finally broke down and told morgan last week what was going on and everything so like he knows i don't know if he probably hasn't told anybody else so and morgan's right. a good guy and hasn't told anybody else either so it's but the fact that again like you know i just can i talk to him please can i just i need to talk to him. he's surrounded by this constant kids and everyone wants kids and he has oh it's heartbreaking for Hodge and it explains his glumness a lot more to right. me than because he, he's happy at home or at least he has been and now he doesn't even have that outlet so 
oh, I care for these characters. They made me care for these characters. <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, feeling apprehensive for whatever the next phase uh, of life Hotch is about to go through. So very good work. Good job for the new writing team of Dworkin and Beatty. And uh, so that was the episode, AJ. How do we feel? Let's bring out the old barometer and uh, discuss if we feel like the BAU team has won this particular episode. Yeah, I, I mean, even though they, as you mentioned, the catching Weevil was like, but but a passing glance. We don't even need to belabor the scene. And even though they did get him to uh, reveal facts about Gary. I'm calling this one a push. I mean, quite frankly, they were very fortunate that they didn't let a gun leave a crime scene and allow a child to murder his evil foster parents. The fact that the child didn't do it is all just a testament to Tyler being good. Uh, That was a horrible, horrible goof. Uh, I'm not going to ding them uh, because uh, no harm, no foul, I guess, but they were very fortunate there. So, yes, they caught Gary, but he really kind of wanted to be caught. So, yeah, it's not a win. It's not a win, but it's not a loss. So, the dance subs are in custody. Uh, no one else got hurt. But I, I got to give him a, a push on this one. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. So, let's uh, move on to what we also like to do at the end of each of our episodes, which is to have a little bit of a quiz, might call it, or what I like to call three questions. Uh, This is based on the show that we've just watched, inspired by, I should say, not based on. And uh, AJ, why don't you take it away? Yes, well, as you know, we uh, enjoy very much the the, the trivia. We have our trivia podcast, Beat My Guest, and our our current format, uh, as, as we record this for Beat My Guest, is uh, what I'm calling 75% true, where I reveal four facts to the person, uh, except one of them is not actually fact. It is a fiction. And I thought, why not? Let's play a little mini round of that game right here for question one. All right. All right. So I have here (laughs) four facts about Francis Capra a.k.a. Weevil. And uh, so I'm going to read you these four items. All you have to do is tell me which one of these four is true. Three of them are false. I've kind of flipped it. Because, again, I'm subverting expectations. Yeah. (laughs) I see what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. All right. So which of the following is the truth about Francis Capra? Is it a, his grandfather directed It's a Wonderful Life. Is it B, he co-starred with Shaquille O'Neal in the movie Kazam? Is it C, he was born and raised in Staten Island, New York? Or is it D, on Heroes, he played a character with a superpower ability to cause earthquakes? Huh. Only one of those is true. Yeah, I'm just trying to remember. I'm. I. I feel like I did hear 
that he was in fact related to Frank Capra. Um, I don't know if it was his grandfather. It seems like he would have been a little young for that, but uh, I'm going to go with that being the true fact that his grandfather directed It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, fair enough. Now, uh, Frank Capra uh, did, in fact, direct It's a Wonderful Life. Francis Capra is not related to him at all. Oh, okay. It is one of those common misconceptions, uh, especially because I, I do believe he actually goes by Francis Capra the Third in a number. Yeah, of, it, it, I thought yeah, I heard no. that. Oh, okay. No, it, it's just everyone just assumes. Everyone yeah. assumes. I assumed too. Uh, no, no truth to that at all. Uh, he was not raised in Staten Island. He's actually from the Bronx. On Heroes, he was on Heroes. He played a character with uh, some sort of sonic ability to like cause great gusts of wind but not to cause earthquakes he originally was going to play a character that did that but they changed the character uh so the truth is that he was the little kid who summoned the, the genie kazam <laughs> wow shaquille o'neal and francis capra in kazam and not shazam with sinbad uh, yes i have to say that i never actually watched kazam <laughs> because i assumed it was going to be bad <laughs> Well, let's just say that what happens is a, a genie is in a lamp, Shaquille O'Neal, of course. Uh, the lamp gets destroyed, and so he moves into the nearest object, which is a boombox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it just gets better from there. <laughs> well, now that you're describing it, I may have to rent that, but... <laughs> <laughs> you mean you don't have it wrapped in plastic under a Blu-ray collection? <laughs> Not at all. Oh, well. All right. And question number two. Let's see if we can do better with this one. Let's uh, let's go to Gary, uh, our, our other unsub. William Lee Scott, in what movie from 2004 did he appear as Tommy, a character who also suffered abuse at the hands of a parent? I have no idea. Uh... 2004, you say, so... Yes. Now, I will say, uh, even though he played this character, give me, maybe give you a little hint, a little push, even though he played Tommy, who suffered abuse at the hands of Barrett, uh, that was revealed in flashback form and was played by a different actor. He was the older version. Okay. Much like in here, the abuse happened in flashback form. <laughs> right. Um... I'm trying to figure out what that could be. 2004. Uh, la, 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 la. It's really not coming to me. Uh, Tommy, an abused kid. Flashback. I don't know. I'm going to say the movie was Doubt. <laughs> with Meryl Streep. Yeah, sure. Viola Davis, Bill Cooper Hoffman, a great movie. I don't uh, think it had any <laughs> flashbacks of abused kids. <laughs> well, no, I mean, that is kind of what it's about, actually. No, that sort of, kind of, sort of, kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of. But no, that is not the movie in question. This, of course, was a movie in which Tommy's history changed a lot. And at one point, he even became this super religious uh, uh, guy who would go knocking on doors and <laughs> perhaps do this sort of thing. 
in one of the futures in the butterfly effect. Ah, okay. Yes. Uh, An underrated film, I think. I think it got a lot more abuse than it needed to simply because of the Ashton Kutcher of it all. That movie actually is in my DVD collection, <laughs> and, uh, and I did watch it, but uh, didn't remember it, so there good you one. Go. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, you know what time it is, Kintad. It's time for my favorite question of the day. I love this each and every episode. I'm going to give you a little preview of next week's episode by asking you which of the following is the plot of Criminal Mind. Season 3, Episode 5, entitled 7 Seconds. 7 Seconds. Which of the following is our plot next week? Will, will, Will we be A, following a sex therapist who has, shall we say, issues of his own who can't seem to stop his urges when it comes to homicide. Is it B? Let's go to the mall. But not to shop, but rather to search for a girl who went missing right from under the nose of her parents. Is it C? Round up the unusual suspects as the BAU heads out to Wyoming, where a pair of rogue rodeo clowns are suspected of a series of home invasions. Or is it D? We follow Reed's account of the BAU's most recent case as he explains to an FBI shrink how everything changed in those last seven seconds. Oh, man. These are good as usual. I feel like, AJ, it is about time for a little bit more Reed. I think... We're going to have Reed talking to the psychiatrist and telling us how everything changed in those last seven seconds. Choice D choice is D my choice. Is your choice. I will I will give you a little sneak peek that at some point we will we will be getting the Rogue Rodeo Clowns episode, but it is not next week. <laughs> Oh my god. And it's never. not for a while, so you will have forgotten by then and I'll change the, the it up a little bit. But yes. <laughs> Rogue Rodeo Clowns. <laughs> we will eventually get there. But no, no, we got a ways to go. <laughs> oh boy. Ah, uh, can you tell I've been uh I've I jumps the shark at some point. Yes, yes you can. Uh as much as I would love, love to follow Reed through this. No, I made that one up. That's, ah. that's all me. Thank you for picking. I love when you pick my fakes. Oh, yeah. Good one. It was a good one. No, we are going to be uh, visiting one of my favorite episodes. Uh, I, I'm, I'm, you know, I watch these episodes so much, I forget what seasons they're in. I, I forgot that this one was, it's season three. Yeah, we get good as soon as season three. All right. We're going to the mall, not to shop, but to search for a girl who went missing right from under the nose of her parents. And this is a really good episode. <laughs> oh, boy. I, uh, I almost was going to go with that one. Um, but then I thought maybe you're just giving me a Robin sparkles. Uh, well, uh, sure. I threw that in there. Don't forget reference. the robot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, what fun. Well, 
Okay. Everybody come and play. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. So uh, we'll see that next week and discuss it with you just as we have done it with you this week. And that is our show for this week. So thank you, everybody, for joining us as usual. I hope you had a great time. Please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast. Hey, why not? on your favorite podcast platform and be sure to spread the word. Let us let your friends know about us. You can also write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com or follow us on our Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. For AJ Mass, this is Kintad Svensgaard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. I don't want you to open the door for anybody, baby. Oh, when you're home. And you know you're all alone. B.B. King